welcome to the Let It Matter podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Wolf. Here at Let It Matter, we seek to make space for and honor what matters to us as individuals, as communities, and as beloved children of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 to cast our cares on God because God cares for us. That tells me that God cares about what we care about. In their song of the same title, the group Johnny Swim offers this invitation. If it matters, let it matter. So that's what we're going to do. I invite you to join me for the next 30 to 45 minutes as we make space for, honor, celebrate, or lament, and as we name what matters. Hello and welcome to the Let It Matter podcast. I am so thrilled to have you here for this very special episode. Um, You may have noticed we have already dropped an episode this week. Um, So this one is sort of a bonus episode. Um, I have been asked a couple of times recently um, by new listeners if I have ever shared sort of in one place my faith story, particularly of how I... um, you know, left evangelicalism and made my way to the Episcopal Church. What was some of that like? Um, and so I decided to go ahead and do an episode where I shared that um, with you guys. And instead of just recording an episode where I just shared from myself, I deputized, I um, asked author and friend Kate Boyd to hop on a call with me and she sort of interviewed me asking questions to sort of move the story along and to dig deeper into some of the things um, I talk about. And she shares a little bit, a few nuggets of hers as well. She has also recently left evangelicalism for mainline, um, for the mainline church. And so I I just couldn't think of a better uh, guest host for this episode. I'm going to turn the reins over to Kate here in just a minute. Kate is the author of the book, An Untidy Faith, uh, that came out in April, um, where she shares more of her sort of deconstruction, reconstruction journey. Um, and I would encourage you to pick that up as well. She did ask me to write the, um, the study guide for her book. And so for those of you who do read it, if you decide to read it in a group or you want more discussion and or um, just sort of reflection questions, that study guide is available on heraldpress.com in the study guides section. Um, and so just so thrilled to have Kate join me for this conversation and to share sort of my story with you guys um, all in one place. So I hope this is a helpful and meaningful episode for you. And let's get into it. Okay, well, this is an exciting day on the Let It Matter podcast. I am joined by Kate Boyd, um, but Kate, I am actually going to be handing over the reins to um, for her to be a guest host for this episode, um, and I will just be the guest. So, Kate, welcome. <laughs> the power is all mine. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> just remember, I still have editing power. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> oh man. Okay. So I've sort of at this point in the episode, I've given what we're doing today and and what we're going to be talking about. Um, this episode was sort of by popular demand, and so um, I'll let you just sort of start firing away. Yeah. So I guess there's no better place to start than the beginning. What 
was sort of the environment from a spirituality faith standpoint that you grew up in and that you were raised in or sort of, yeah, formed in originally. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, and I want to say parts of this story, some people, you know, I've included in some episodes of the podcast and I've told in other places. And so if, um, if this is a repeat for you, you know, just sort of hang in there and we'll get to a part you probably haven't heard, but I, um, I was raised here in Texas in a family um, that is, we, we were Church of Christ, which is, uh, for those who don't know, it sounds just sort of like what all of us are. It's a Church of Christ, you know, uh, but it is a specific denomination with a specific set of beliefs um, and practices. And it's um, ultra conservative, pretty sectarian, um, not big on grace or nuance or, uh, and I want to be clear here. I'm talking about my experience within it. I I've heard from people as I've told stories like this in the past that was like, what are you talking about? This is nothing like my church of Christ. Um, and so God bless if that is your story. I'm so thrilled for you. Um, mine was just the side of a cult, <laughs> honestly. Mm. Um, it was, it was very, very, I heard somebody, I think it was on that um, Scientology show Leah Remini did that when she said the difference between a religion and a cult is what happens when you try to leave. Mm. Um, And so I'll get to that in a little while, but, um, but you know, all of our belonging and all of our commonality came down to that. We held not just the right Christian beliefs, but the right church of Christ beliefs. There were even other churches of Christ that we thought, Oh, they're off the deep end because they, clap during their songs i mean it was wild um and so that's sort of uh, not only just my nuclear family but both sides of my family for generations extended cousins uh, all of that um were church of christ my granddad was a church of christ preacher for 50 years my other grandparents um served in, in various capacities well my grand my other granddad served in various capacities within the church of christ for decades. Um, and so it was all of our friends, all of our community, all of our memories, everything was within that environment. Um, and so, yeah, that's, I was, that's how I, you know, one of the things I loved is that it did give me, um, a huge amount of importance with the Bible. Mm-hmm. And and well, though they, in my opinion, don't, don't interpret most of it correctly um, or apply most of it correctly, I do still love the Bible. My relationship with it has changed drastically, but um, I can't get away from it. And uh, it's in my bones and my DNA so much of Scripture now. And so um, that and then also... Um, what they would call the Lord's Supper that I would now call the Eucharist um, was a very big deal to my family and to, you know, to our church. Like if we would be on a trip on a Sunday, like I said, family, if we were on vacation or something, um, we would just bring the elements just to take communion. We wouldn't have a whole service. We would just take communion together because that was the big deal that was supposed to happen on Sundays was to gather for the table. And again, while theology around that has changed, my theology around that has changed. Um, the table is 
one of the most important aspects of my faith to me. And so there were parts of it that I can now look back and see with a little bit of nuance and uh, appreciate. But for the most part, uh, it was a pretty harmful, close-minded, um, someone used the phrase one time, death-dealing theology, and I think that's really accurate. Um, much more about morality than about like who God is, what the gospel is, grace, love. Um, it was more like how to tame your tongue, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> so <laughs> what not to wear when you were young, was that sort of like, um, because I know I sort of, I didn't grow up in a tradition that was quite as strict as that, but I know that for me, I really liked the structure and like the boxes and like the very mm -hmm. specific, um, maybe that's just because I'm type A and I love, I'm an Enneagram five. So I love meeting <laughs> expectations. So was that sort of like a thing that, you know, you found comfort in or that you always mm. sort of like, or it was just something that you just understood or was it, j or was yeah. it something that you kind of felt like boxed in or how did that feel growing up? Both. I, I was good at it. You had yeah. to be good at it to survive in that environment. Otherwise you were gossiped about or you were cast out or you were othered. Um, and so I knew how, to, you know, I knew the answers to say in Sunday school and I was at every church camp and retreat and summer youth series and all of that um, mission trips and all that. Um, but I also, you know, had a sort of uh, very early on, had a rebellious streak and uh, was, you know, partying and, you know, doing things I shouldn't have been doing by someone's standards uh, in <laughs> high school, things I was too young to be doing for sure in high school. And, um, and, you know, so it was sort of both. It was, it wasn't like I, I was bought in yeah. on the why, but I knew what, Okay. Yeah. To do. I get that. Uh, to survive and to be, you know, to belong and, and, uh, be accepted and, and it was a currency sort of. Yeah. So it always sort of felt surface level in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, yes. As far as your participation, it was, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, there were, it was, it's a weird dynamic because it was surface surface level in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And in other ways, it was everything I knew. I didn't know anything else. Yeah. And so it was down to the deepest core of me in terms of the like actions and the um, expectations and the rhetoric and the party line and those types of things. Um, but in terms of like faith, Mm -hmm. It was, uh, it was very much the place I was raised in. And, and, and because of the, because of those party lines and those rhetorics, I didn't know I could be anything else. I, you know, a lot of, uh, one of the famous criticisms of the church of Christ is you guys think you're the only ones going to heaven. And that really is <laughs> true of a lot of churches of Christ, particularly the one I grew up in. And so, um, it didn't ever occur to me that I could be anything else. Yeah. And therefore it didn't occur to me that what I was doing was on the shallow end. I thought I was on the deep end because I could eviscerate somebody with a book, chapter and verse. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and so, yeah, it was a 
it was a weird dynamic i don't really know yeah i guess i mean it's one of those it's one of those things that like you probably didn't recognize it as sort of surface level at the time right because like you said to you it was the deepest core conviction because of the shaping of your life at the time right and so right um so with that so deep even with little seeds of rebellion what was sort of like your first step the or the chink in the armor like what was it that started your exit from that sort of space um in 2011 my sister died of an overdose so Mm -hmm. i was 23 um and we had spent about six years estranged from her or um very very rocky relationship if not uh, completely estranged um she had some mental health issues she had some addiction issues um she was also gay and we didn't accept that yeah and sort of cast her out uh for those who haven't listened to other episodes where i've talked about that i'm not saying that glibly it's the worst thing i've ever done and i have i spend a good um, amount of energy in in my life, I'm constantly aware of what repentance needs to look like then for the LGBTQ community, because I can't, um, you know, make those amends with her. But um, anyway, so I, so I came to discover that that morality teaching does not sustain you on the dark night Mm -hmm. of the soul. It yeah. just doesn't. It, I I was so, when she died, my brother had had heart problems um, for years and years and years. And he was very, very sick a couple of times. Um, he died and was shocked and came back once. Um, but he never died. You know what I mean? And so we sort of, I had this belief that like things will be bad, but it won't ever be the worst. And then when she died, I... I have come to realize now I was holding God to promises that God had never made. Mm. Um, But I was so angry. I spent the next year after that, just first of all, I was 23. It was just a, just a baby. Um, And I was just so angry at God and I was sarcastic, like, Oh, you'll never leave us or forsake us. Mm -hmm." You know, I mean, I was just, I didn't have any box for God when, because my box blew up. (laughs) yeah that i thought was was accurate and so um so i spent the next year sort of i could barely go to church because it reminded me of her funeral um and just asking every question about like how does god work how does god interact with us is there free will is there why do we even pray you know and some of this was grief. Some of this was leftover self-righteousness and anger and, and issues from the time where we were estranged. So this was my own stuff. Um, and then, and then add in the faith aspect of it. And so, um, that was the first sort of chink in the armor was that like, I got some distance in that year Mm-hmm. And I started asking some questions that I hadn't really ever had reason to ask before. And no one had satisfying answers. No one even, in fact, let me put it this way. Everyone had answers. Yeah. And the questions felt too big to have really neat answers. And I, it felt like I would say something and someone would go, oh, well, da, 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 da. there's the answer. And I would, there was just something that felt so cheap about it. 
and so unsatisfying and untrue, frankly, just in my bones, you know, about whatever the answer was that they were giving me. And so, uh, yeah, that was sort of the first, uh, the, that was the one. I mean, there wasn't really a first and then multiple. Yeah. It was that. It, it was fractured. that experience. Yeah. And so you said you started asking a lot of questions and then you mentioned asking them of people. Were there other places you were looking for answers to the questions or was it just no. wrestling? What was that like? It was, I mean, <laughs> it was like I would ask my youth minister. And then I would ask a youth minister that I knew from church camp. It was all within the same faith environment. Okay. We didn't even read mainstream Christian evangelical books because mm -hmm. that was, quote, the world. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just wild now to say that. Um, but, like, we didn't listen to CCM, you know, worship music that was on K-Love. We didn't listen to, or we didn't read books like that. And so I didn't know there was anything other anywhere else to ask yeah. and every time I was asking from within my own environment I kept getting the answers I've known my whole life because those were the company lines we're raised with and they just were so hollow they were just so hollow and so um so no I didn't really know I didn't have another place to ask questions at that time. I didn't know the, of any other place to ask questions at that time. Um, so that's, it was a really isolating siloed off uh, type of environment. Yeah. I mean, I know that that's sort of a feature of evangelicalism as a whole, but I think especially something that's more sectarian than that, I can mm -hmm. see how, because even I sort of grew up in, traditions that were more answer heavy versus like give you questions give you tools it was like just give yeah. you answers um yeah. <clears throat> and i loved that i loved having answers so that worked for me like for a long time like you said yeah. but at some point you're like wait a minute <laughs> something doesn't work and then uh -huh. you don't and then like you said you don't know where to go and you're having to process something and yeah. everything it felt like feels like a maze a yeah and every turn i was hitting a wall yeah. and that wall was I already know what you're going to say before I ask you this question because I've said it to people when they've asked me. Yeah. Or I've heard this in Sunday school, you know, every third Sunday, basically, since I was zero. Um, and and so it just, like, the you know, within the maze metaphor, like, it's still all that same internal. There's no exit. <laughs> it didn't feel like there was ever going to be an exit. Um, and so, really, I had sort of just resigned to, like, I'll go once in a while for the picture in my mom's head that I'm still going. Yeah. And I'm over this. I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. And I'm at, I don't know what to do. So at some point you stopped hitting walls though, cause you're obviously yeah. churchy ish <laughs> now. <laughs> I'm churchy still. <laughs> yeah. So what happened? What changed? Yeah. I, I had a roommate at that time, a friend of mine who had a friend of hers over. It was Memorial day of 2000. 12 and so this is a year and a couple of weeks after my sister died just barely okay. yeah um just past the year mark and so um this girl is over and she uh, is a sort of a long story but essentially she i told her about holly i told her about you know my, some of my questions she shows me a clip a youtube clip of her pastor um a part of a sermon that he had preached 
about a five minute video. And by the end of it, I was bawling. And I, it was, um, (laughs) for the longest time when I was still in evangelicalism, I described that as the moment that I was saved. Now I don't, it's very hard for me to know how to talk about language about being saved and same. I have a hard time with covenantal and, you know, belovedness and all that. And so I will say that was one of the first times my eyes were, was, were open to grace. Mm. Um, and I won't even say love yet, but grace, (laughs) um, baby stepping, you know, (laughs) we're baby stepping. And that was monumental because the environment I grew up in, you could lose your salvation 60 times a day. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you were constantly in, out, in, out, sing for your supper. You always have to, you know, be repenting of everything. And if you have any unrepentance and then there's no sacrifice that remains for you and there lies the second death or something. Um, I just did a bunch of proof texting in case anyone was wondering where that language all of a sudden came from. <laughs> that was what we did was take six verses and make one sentence out of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so she showed me this video. I was like, Oh my God. You know, we spent like half the night up talking that night and she invited me to come to church with her. And I was like, well, I mean, I'm not going to my church. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Might as well go to yours. Might as well. And her church was on a Saturday night. And so I didn't have to answer the question to my mom, like, why did I skip real church? I'm using mm-hmm. air quotes here for people who can't see me. Real church and go to, you know, just a, a, an exercise. <laughs> what how that would have been called. Um, and she, her pastor was the one that, you know, like I said, it was, it was Matt Chandler at the village. Um, but... I, I always want to impress this upon people. I, like I said, did not know anything about evangelical mainstream culture, celebrity pastor culture, Christian authors, <laughs> I knew nothing about it. And so it, for me, it wasn't like, of course I was drawn to the big SBC mega church. It was like, my friend invited me to church with her and, and who comes out on stage is the same pastor who preached the message of this little video that was already in the short amount of time between when I saw it and when I went transforming me. Yeah. (laughs) So I, I was like, I remember the first time, you know, we sang acapella in church of Christ. We never use instruments. No instruments. Yeah. And there was a lot of emphasis on how, on the harmony, on the notes, on how it sounds, the acoustics. So it always felt like a performance a little bit. And when I went to the village that first time, seeing people raise their hands in worship or close their eyes, I, I mean, I just cried through the whole thing. I was like, oh, I think this is what worship is supposed to look like. Or at least one, you know, I say this now, one way worship is supposed to look. But I don't think I had seen it, or at least I hadn't participated in it before. What I had done was singing. Um, and that's different. It's very different. And so, um, I, I, so I was sort of, I mean, this started this wrestle because I almost instantly knew, oh crap, I'm going to have to leave the church of Christ because I'm in here. I want to be here. And this place is speaking to places in me that have been wounded and that are hurting and grieving and all these things. And so, you know, over the course of a few months, just sort of slowly, 
I was going on Saturday nights so that I could still go to my other church on Sunday mornings and then slowly stopped going on the Sunday mornings and then had the conversation. Um, and I always say leaving the Church of Christ was probably one of the hardest things I've done in my entire life. Hands down. Um, my family didn't have a box for it at the time. Yeah. And everyone that I was raised with and raised by in this massive village of people who I had been at church with at that, at that specific church since third grade. And I'm 24. <laughs> like, yeah, it was. And the fact that like no one, if people reached out, it was to try to have a Bible study with me to pull me back from hell. Yeah. Um, but it was only a couple of people who did that. I mean, everybody else just wrote me off so quickly, except for my family who pushed back hard. I mean, we went through it. I, there, there was times when I thought, I don't know if I'm going to be able to have a relationship with them other than like, I'll come to your birthday dinner. I'll come to, you know, whatever. Um, and being 24 and a year out from losing my sister and then that massive, another big fracture in our family mm -hmm. while everyone else is grieving too. And while everyone else is trying to manage their leftover feelings from those six years with my sister and it was just, it was difficult. It was really difficult. Um, but what was undeniable was that it was transforming me. And so eventually the fruit was you couldn't, they couldn't argue with it. Yeah. Oh, you're different now. <laughs> like, I remember the first time I felt, this is why I say that that moment is when I got saved, because I remember the first time that I sensed the Holy Spirit, like conviction in me. Mm. I had tried on a bunch of clothes at Target and left them all on the floor of the dressing room and was walking to my car and in the parking lot, like way out into the parking lot, I got this feeling like, ugh, I shouldn't have left those there. I should hang them back up. Yeah. Just this little, you know, not, it wasn't this massive thing, just this thing that like somebody's going to have to do that. And I really shouldn't, you know, I need to think about someone else started to walk back in and I'm not kidding you before I even got back to the door. I went, what has happened to me? <laughs> like my whole brain is changing. <laughs> it was just like, not that I felt the pang of it, although that was pretty new also. But that I like was willing to like, okay, and I'm going to walk all the way back in, all the way yeah. back to the dressing rooms, hang up my stuff. They, I probably before would have been like, it's probably hung up by now. You know, I'll get it next time. I'll pay it forward. <laughs> I would have just uh, justified it. But I just felt this sort of unction and followed it and, and was like, oh, that's what this is supposed to feel like. <laughs> <laughs> so as you're sort of like stepping into a new environment and you're experiencing like all of this you know, like joy and transformation in this new part of your journey at the same time, experiencing a lot of loss of relationships and connections. Yeah. What was it like to sort of hold those things at the same time? Or did you try or did you just sort of like lean into one because you knew that? What did that look like for you? Yeah, uh, pretty quickly. And the Lord has done this. I don't like saying the Lord, but it's muscle memory. Yes. <laughs> um, we know what you mean. I felt like, I feel like God has done this both times of my, I've had two major faith evolutions in my life. And this first one very much prepared me for the second one and made the second one a whole bunch easier. <laughs> um, but in this first one, uh, and both, I felt very clearly 
soon after leaving, you've been set free from that environment. You don't need to keep returning to it Mm. for the culture war, for the arguments. Um, You don't need to keep visiting that church and sitting with your mom for the good picture in her head. First of all, it's not going to lead anywhere. You're not going to come back. And second of all, um, it's only stirring up difficulty in like anger, self-righteousness, bitterness, resentment in you. It's not serving anyone for you to keep doing that. You've been set free from that environment. That verse in, in Galatians five, like you from the, you've been set free from the yoke of slavery. Don't, why are you returning to it? Mm -hmm. Um, was, was a, um, sort of a tent pole that I kind of kept returning to for a while. And that, so I sort of leaned all in, I was just all in at the village. Um, for, to be clear, I didn't even know it was an SBC church until I was doing my membership class, like nine or 10 months later, after I had started going there. Um, they were like, surprise, we're SBC. (laughs) Yeah. They kind of keep it under wraps. (laughs) It's not, they would say, and this is not an apologetics class for the village, let me just be clear, but um, they would say it's not the most important thing about their beliefs or who they are. They believe in it. I mean, they are a part of it because of the missions aspect. But um, anyway, I... uh, I just, I mean, I just dove head first. Home groups, serving in Kids Village and Little Village, teaching classes, like, for kids. Um, Attending recovery, attending steps, which is the, like, more intensive of recovery. Uh, And then I started leading in recovery and mentoring in steps and leading steps groups and uh, doing the theological training classes. So, over this sort of eight-year span that I was at the village, and I want to be mindful of our time but like to be succinct I mean we just did 23 years in what (laughs) 23 minutes so eight years and eight minutes um there was this uh, a real emphasis on head knowledge Mm -hmm. and on serving and on the covenant the membership covenant at the village um and the membership covenant was just sort of always this thing hanging over of like um you know, not just, yes, we'll tithe, but also, you know, I'll be in a home group. I'll be serving somewhere. I'll be giving of my, not just my money, but my time. I'll be, um, you know, church discipline was a really big part of the culture. When I first got there, it's, it's that I understand has changed quite a bit. Um, and rightfully so, but, um, but it was a very big part of a lot of things early on. And so, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I was all in on it and bought into the culture pretty quickly and stayed that way almost the whole time. Yeah. I mean, I think as a person who's never attended the village, but um, lives in the Dallas area there, it's sort of like the two things I know about it are, ex- <laughs> are obviously the covenant membership because of some of the things we'll probably talk about in a minute. Yeah. Um, and um you know, being familiar with Matt Chandler is just sort of like a thing that I feel like a lot of Dallas people are like so the not counting that. Yeah. But I think <laughs> the other thing is, yeah, the theological training. Like they have whole 
giant I got programs seven, I got where 27 you hours. Credits. Yeah, like it's really intense. I don't um, even have my undergrad and they've worked it out with Boys College that and and Southern that I would I got 27 hours of of seminary level credit across you know a year's span um because the work was that intense i mean it was yeah. really intense <laughs> yeah i mean um, and so taught by one outside, of the professors from southern mm-hmm. yeah so if people from outside like it's not like light you know oh we're gonna do a little this bible sunday no like it's in yeah. really intense training um yeah yeah so i know that like going through that and then um like at what point did you sort of like feel as though maybe you would be you were being pulled toward more of a ministry perspective and then yeah. I also knowing that environment what are some of those obstacles that you encountered in in that oh, complementarianism <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um very early on when I started serving in recovery um really what you know I I um, have addiction in my history and the 12th step is to return and to continue to serve and they sort of you know the steps program at the village is modeled after you know it's adapted from the 12 step program and so continuing to serve in that environment is the 12th step and um and so that was sort of why I started serving in there and leading the groups and stuff and very very quickly I started to sense a vocational call to ministry or a call to ministry of some type. Um, but again, like I said, I don't have, I don't even have my undergrad student loans are so prohibitive or ha- were so prohibitive to me for all of the time I was at the village. I got out of last like uh, loan I took out or college course, I think was 2007 I'm a hundred years old. Um, and so it was, uh, and, and at that point I had like $60,000. No, it was more than that. It was 30, 30 $75,000 worth of debt. Yeah. And I had like 18 college credits and hair school <laughs> under my belt. And so, um, I just, I, I knew going back to school wasn't, wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And so what I thought was I'm at this huge church though. And there's so many people like discipleship, apprenticeship, internship, those types of things can, can like, I don't mean that I'll get hired by some church because I did that, but I meant like it would scratch that itch. Yeah. To, voc- to vocational ministry that I could learn from people doing it, serve them. Um, and, and even if I only ever do lay ministry th- that I'll be discipled in that way. Um, and again, like hitting a maze, I mean, just hitting walls over and over again for internships, for apprentice, for discipleship, um, you know, in that environment, first of all, complementarianism is a big deal. <laughs> I mean, it's, part of who they are and so there are women on staff that are their title isn't pastor it's minister but um they i'm saying that because of the recent stuff um yeah but that like there were so many people and then they're taking applications for these things from outside the church as well um 
that not having a degree and and being a woman and being like i think i'm called to this didn't have near as much standing as people coming in with mdivs multiples <laughs> you know um and i was single and i was 24 and uh, i had also been in the recovery program talking about my grief talking about my depression um and uh, and then to go to those leaders, you know, months later and say, I think I'm sensing this thing. Um, it was just, I wasn't a celebrity. I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't Jen Wilkin. I wasn't Lori Wilbert. I wasn't, you know, I've, I, uh, didn't have the credentials. And then I also, there was just so much competition, like, and then, and then at the same time, not as much need. I don't know how to say that, but like they weren't putting women in that many positions. <laughs> right, so, yeah. The, so like we would have women's Bible study, but it would be in the entire sanctuary and every woman would go and just hear Jen Wilkin. Yeah. Um, and st- And then we would break off into groups, but the group's leaders were just like conversation facilitators. They weren't teaching anything. And so while there's that many people and there's that much competition, there's not near as many, as many uh, opportunities. And so, yeah, that was, it was a frustration. It was something I thought I can live with that was just building internal wounds and uh, pain and difficulty. But, um, but not, that wouldn't have been the thing if it was just that. that yeah. Made me leave. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I mean, I I feel like I have similar stories. I didn't go to an SBC at the time, but as I was sort of like, that's, it's a very familiar story to a lot of women who, yeah, <laughs> who yeah. do the things that we do. Absolutely. Like we had to find the, the other ways of pursuing them because, yeah. and then sometimes we get vilified for even pursuing those other ways um, yeah. because it doesn't have... I don't know accountability or whatever. Like, there's always a way to make you feel bad for doing the thing. Do you remember that, that you're called whole to do thing but not when, allowed to do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That whole thing when like whoever it was, TGC wrote an article about who's who are Jen, who are Jen Hatmaker and Rachel Held Evans uh, in submission to because they were bloggers. They were doing public ministry through yeah. writing, and there was this whole thing. It was several years ago, obviously, but. Um, when blogging was still, you know, I do remember that, but. and I, and like I think there's some merit to write, you know, having accountability or community or people to hold you to who you are and what you're supposed to do, but not in a yeah. sense of like demand. You know what I mean? Like it's sort of what like they meant was who are the men? Yeah, that can but they meant who's in charge of you and what are you doing? Yeah, um, yeah. Because I know I have people who are allowed to check me, you know, of if course. things feel right. And I, of so course. And I like don't mean, balance, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't mean there should never be any accountability. First of all, the Holy Spirit is yeah. within you. Second of all, um, yeah, I think anybody should have a circle of people that, you know, their therapist, their spiritual director, their spouse, if they're married, um, or their best friend or a, a mm-hmm. mentor or something that's just like, hey, you're off 10 and two fam. (laughs) You gotta, you gotta pull back. Um, and, and that should have the, you know, permission to do that. But this wasn't that this was, yeah, nothing. It was just, Um, it was just hitting roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. Um, 
So if that wasn't sort of the deal breaker for you, what was mm-hmm. the deal breaker, especially in a place where you sort of found so much, well, you found grace and you found transformation for yourself and you found, yeah. you know, opportunities. Community. To I did have tons have of community. community. Yeah. So what was it that, you know, became like the thing that made you need to exit that space? Yeah. Two things. Um, the 2016 election cycle was really difficult. Yeah. Um, I started to realize in me that I was politically pretty, pretty liberal, pretty progressive. Um, but theologically, I, I didn't think I, or I wasn't, I guess at the time. And so there, I felt really disintegrated from myself because I would say, like, I would, I remember when the Syrian refugee crisis was happening, I was torn up. I mean, I was like, I couldn't hardly sleep. I was, we were, had elder led prayer. No one had mentioned it. And there was just migrants by the hundreds of thousands hitting the, you know, the shores in Athens and in Greece. And I went back to the, one of the elders and I was like, what are we doing? Why aren't our borders open? And then when they put the kids in the cages and did zero tolerance, family separations, what are we doing? And they looked at me like, you need to get a hold of yourself. Yeah. <laughs> We're protecting our, our, you know, we don't have, do you lock your door at night, Kelly? That kind of BS. I don't know. Um, that was really difficult. And then... <laughs> Uh, and and that election cycle sort of <laughs> radicalized the feminist in me. Yeah. Um, because I was so angry at white women for voting for him. Mm-hmm. I was so angry at white evangelicals for voting for him. I was angry at my parents for having voted for him. Um, and And angry that, you know, all these people that had raised me, that taught me morality, that taught me about turning the other cheek that taught me about uh, he must increase. I must decrease taught me all these things would then do such a one. I mean, would just then become these rabid, hateful conspiracy theorist, um, racist, (laughs) xenophobic, misogynistic, ableist. I mean, there's all these, uh, it was just, so hard to watch that election cycle was a fucking trip man yeah <laughs> um, same relatable <laughs> and, and i know so many women who have said that in the interviews yeah. for this podcast even mm-hmm. i'll ask people like so when did you start thinking about ideas for this and they'll be like you know it's around 2016 <laughs> 2016 2017 yeah i mm-hmm. get that a lot too i sense yeah. there was a major shift you know, for so many people. And that was the impetus. And that was when me too was happening. Yeah. Church too started to happen. Okay. So that was a big crack Mm -hmm. in the foundation. The thing that happened was, uh, there were a few things in 2019, the Houston Chronicle published the article uncovering 700 cases of sexual abuse and, uh, and subsequent cover-ups within mm-hmm. the SBC um, right before the convention that year. And I have rape in my own history. I was raped when I was 19. And mm-hmm. there's a, a few other situations that are spiritual abuse for sure, borderline or adjacent to sexual abuse in in my history. So very and then i'm an enneagram eight my body was like Mm -hmm. 
roiling. I I couldn't stand that. And then at that same time, not the Houston Chronicle, but on the cover of the New York Times is my church telling the story of a young girl whose family I know and whose uh, mother uh, is a listener of the show. And uh, about her own sexual abuse while at a camp for the village. And and I don't want to go into too many details because I am aware that they may be listening. But, um, and how the village so gravely mishandled their story and their situation. Um, and the village was being sued for that. And, uh, and I thought to myself in the lawsuit, you know, in the top corner of the first page where it lists the plaintiff and the defendant, the plaintiff is girl's name, or I think it said Jane Doe at the time, V the village church. This is an organization I'm a part of. Yeah. I cannot be on the V. I cannot be opposite a sexual abuse survivor. I was just sick to my stomach about it. And so I mean, very soon after that happened, I went to two or three more services and in my body, I started to feel unsafe. Not that I thought something was going to happen to me there in the sanctuary, mm-hmm. but I couldn't shake the feeling of like, would I be believed? Yeah. How would it be handled if it was me? Um, and, and then I just, it was just panic. It was just panic attacks and stuff. And so I just mm-hmm. stopped going to the village altogether. Um, and that was, uh, there was one other incident that happened also in 2019 in the spring. Um, and I can't, I'm not going to go into all the details cause it, n- no amount of explaining it would make it make sense. <laughs> it's just the stupidest yeah. thing that ever happened. But, I was deeply embedded in a community of women that I was really, I loved. I was really happy in, and I was so glad to be. There was a prayer team for our church and a series of events happened to no fault of my own or another girl that this, that was cast out. Basically it was essentially, um, we didn't have enough practice with the charismatic gifts And this prayer team needs to be, this isn't coming from the church leadership. This is just the women saying this. Yeah. There's sort of an unofficial underground charismania prayer group. Um, And you don't have enough practice with prophecy and things like that. And we need to be this lean tactical. This is the word they use lean tactical prayer group. Um, (laughs) And we don't have the bandwidth to disciple you in prayer. (laughs) And so wow. we're, we can't, you know, you can't be on the prayer team anymore. We'd gone on, vac- on trips together. We'd gone to conferences yeah. together. We were in planning meetings. I'd spent hours and hours every week either with them or in service to what we were doing. And I was devastated. Um, and very quickly, I made the connection after I was also sort of starting to listen to the stories of LGBTQ folks and um, people of color, um, and stuff that I will never intentionally be a part of a group that excludes another person from the table, from the church, from serving, from anything that God has called them to do. Um, it was, it was, 
I couldn't stomach it. I can stomach the idea. Um, because that little bit, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't cast out for something that was to do with my identity, but yeah. it was something I had no control over. Yeah. Um, and just that tiny window of empathy made it this fierce conviction. I'll never be a part of something like that again that I, you know, that I know of as soon as I know about it, I can't. So those were the things. Um, <laughs> so, so <laughs> confluence know, of events. Yeah. So I know that you're Episcopal now, but yes. before, like before you found that, what, mm-hmm. yeah. What did that intervening time look like? I have to tell you a really sweet story. It looked like five or six months of not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Because when I left the Church of Christ, like I said, it wasn't like I studied a bunch of options and decided on the SBC. I heard a sermon and went straight there. And then leaving the SBC, I was like, I don't know what I, what else there is to be. Yeah, I could go to a, just a non-denom, but I started. I had already started to feel like my my views were already changing about complementarian versus egalitarianism, LGBTQ affirmation, and. There was this one day, one Sunday, I thought, well, um, as part, I was, I had been feeling guilty that week about something to do with my sister. And I said, as part of sort of my repentance today, I want to go somewhere where I know she could be right next to me on the pew. She could walk and receive the, you know, the Eucharist. She could be serving. She could be preaching there if that's what she wanted to be doing. I'm just, just for today. I didn't think I was ready to like be at a church like that forever. But I said, just for today, I'm going to do that. So I got on church clarity, found a a local, it was a disciples of Christ church. And I walked up to the door and a woman stuck out her hand and she said, hi, are you visiting today? My name's Holly. It's nice to meet you. My sister's name is Holly. Yeah. (laughs) I like, I stood back and I was like, (laughs) me, you, I'm just going to go sit down. (laughs) She's like, wow, I didn't mean to make them cry. (laughs) I'm like getting teary. I'm just on usher service. Yeah. Um, I went and sat down and I I mean, I just cried through the whole thing. Um, And something really powerful. I visited that Disciples of Christ Church a few times. I visited an, an Anglican, an ACNA church. Um, and then the Episcopal church. And the thing that struck me after leaving a mega church, like I don't like big crowds anyway. Yeah. And there, so there were so many things I, after leaving the village, I started to realize I had been siloing off. I had been disintegrated in my worship. I wasn't bringing my full self to worship because I was putting myself in this tiny acrobatic box mm-hmm. because that's what the village offered. And I was trying to keep making that fit. You know, Um, but so all these churches were tiny churches. It was like 80 people in the room. Most of the churches I went to, the people were all in their like 70s and 80s. It's just so dear. And each one, you went forward and received the Eucharist and a blessing from the rector to your face. And at the village, you could you could be there six years and go to different services and never have met a staff member, much less one of the you know, the one that was preaching the sermon, Matt, yeah. or, or one of the elders or something, if you didn't want to, I'm not saying it would, it's, you know, no one would have ever found you, but, um, but the centricity of the Eucharist 
in each of those traditions, actually. Short sermon, when I had come from a 50-minute sermon yeah. and five minutes for the for communion. A short little homily, reading of the scripture that had no expounding, no proof texting, no nothing. We're just going to read it. And then the centricity of the table um, was so beautiful to me that I... Uh, that I knew that I started to make a list. These are going to be my priorities Yeah, for what I want. I want a small church. I want, um, a, you know, I want, uh, I, I, like I said, an Enneagram 8. And so in the Episcopal Church, we kneel. There's art on the walls. There's, can you know, you light a candle. You go forward to receive. You pass the peace. There's all of these really corp- corporeal, corporeal. I only have ever seen that word written. <laughs> Yeah, it. I know bodily I, incarnational yes. <laughs> yes all these aspects that involve your body and your senses which is very much how God created me so again I'm not having to silo off in fact I'm getting to reintegrate to remember these parts of myself that are so mm-hmm. important to me um, and they share my beliefs about women about people of color about LGBTQ leadership I mean I mean affirmation and so, uh, and the fine, the thing that like sort of sealed it was the Episcopal church I visited. Um, the, the, the rector was a woman and she had this just a sort of soft spoken. She's wonderful at her job. I mean, not just the pastoral part, but the way she connected all the lectionary texts to mm-hmm. one another and preached through them. Um, And to come from Matt screaming, uh, you know, his just voice is just yeah. loud. And that I had been triggered for eight years and I mm-hmm. didn't realize it. Mm-hmm. When I got out of that environment and I thought, oh, like leaving that church service, my body felt so different than it had in years. And I didn't even realize I was being so activated and triggered in the services before because I just thought this is what this kind of church is like. Yeah. It's not Church of Christ. This is what real church is like. And you're hyped up and you're antsy and you're activated and you're anxious and there's social anxiety. And no, it's not how it has to be. (laughs) Um, And so the Episcopal Church is a really soft place to land for me. It was safe and soft and I didn't jump into serving immediately. I didn't have to jump into a home group. I don't even know if they offer home groups, um, but it was such a small church. You didn't really need them, you know, yeah. you had three services and like 80 people. Um, and it just so quickly became family. I love so, that. So quickly became family. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we went mainline too after leaving yeah. evangelicalism and you know we landed in a united methodist church um yeah and for us it was very like we knew pretty quickly that it was the right one for us mm-hmm. even though there are still things say like theologically or denominationally that we're not necessarily like 100 yeah. percent on um, same you know and yeah. so um Although I would say none of those are important, right? Like hugely <laughs> important things. They're yeah. very small things. But um, you know, if I were to identify with an actual denomination and its confession of faith, it wouldn't be UMC mm-hmm. necessarily. Yeah. 
so I know that you sort of have some of those challenges to maybe mm-hmm. with the Episcopal Church. What are some of those things that you have been reconciling and and what does that process look like in reconciling that and like walking through yeah. that and holding those tensions of like this is where I belong and mm-hmm. this is a thing that I'm still challenged with with this particular organization yeah. I guess yeah uh, so first of all I can't stand our bishop <laughs> Just to put it out there. <laughs> and here he is on my wall at my confirmation service, just of, of all things. Um, I'm sorry, that was too strong of language. Our bishop is not affirming. Okay. Our bishop doesn't take a strong enough stand on gun violence, on Christian nationalism, on immigration, on things like that. He doesn't stand in line with what the broader Episcopal Church in America is very clear about it's one of the most progressive or liberal denominations in the country and i'm in one of the two most conservative dioceses in the country Mm -hmm. yeah and so the episcopal church polity i'm not that wild about i wish that our bishop didn't set what the churches the individual parishes can do and talk about and be about for a geographical reason because it's if i left annunciation where else am i going Everywhere is under that bishop, unless yeah. I go to Ardmore, Oklahoma, yeah. or Waco. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, or far west Fort Worth. Um, and so, that's frustrating for me. And that was something actually very recently I had to work through in um, in uh, spiritual direction. Because it was starting to create a thing where I wasn't going anymore. I didn't, I was like, uh, I was having that thing. I, I can't be V something else my organizational alignment i have to fully agree with everything and i was looking at the diocese not at my parish my parish is affirming i want to be very clear my rectors are affirming and are um more in line with like bishop curry and what the broader episcopal church is um but uh she was like kelly you know you (laughs) live in texas she said, I would venture to say you probably didn't vote for any of your elected officials. Is that right? <laughs> and I said, yes, that's that's correct. <laughs> Ted Cruz, John Cornyn, Greg Abbott, Michael Burgess. No, I didn't. I didn't vote for any of them. She said, why don't you leave? I said, because my people are here. She said, right. And Annette, why can't you look at the diocese mm. like you do the state government of Texas? It sucks and you wouldn't choose it. You would choose something different. But your people are at Annunciation. That's where your community is now. Those yeah. are people you love. And you, you know, they, that Annunciation, let me just say this also. Annunciation has over and over and over, not just the rector, everybody, been so affirming of my gifts and my call to ministry. I'm going to cry. <clears throat> I mean, from the earliest days. Yeah. And you can take a minute if you need it. (laughs) Because I know what that's like. And I even know what it's like, like you were saying before, to be affirmed in your gifts and not be able to use them. That was sort of... Yeah. Uh, One of those things that happened to me at my past church. And then to like walk into environments where it's not questioned or you don't have to like defend your right to be in a room and have not only not defend it you're sought out yeah you are celebrated you are asked back you are getting you know 
oh, are you teaching today? (laughs) Things like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just such a different experience that I'm like, listen, people, it doesn't have to be like this. (laughs) It doesn't have to be this way. And the people I'm teaching, you know, in my spiritual, spiritual direction and spiritual formation classes are all, some of them double my age and more. Most of them double my age and more. Yeah. And don't have the, the, and, and men, I, I taught a women of valor series about women through scripture. And there were men coming to the class being like, of course, there's something to learn here. Yeah. I, I it just, it was so um, healing. That's why I'm crying. I'm just, it was so yeah. healing and redemptive. Um, it maybe is a little bit of like bigger fish, smaller pond versus huge pond. Sure. You know, one of a jillion fish. Um, but it's not that I'm a big fish. It's just the culture of the place. This yep. culture of, and, and I can really see a difference. This is maybe a theological conversation to have for another time, but a difference between a place where I learned grace and a place where I learned love. Mm hmm. Um, because grace still feels like you're making, you know, it's undeserved, which is a very clear statement about who you are. Right. Yeah. Belovedness is also a very clear statement about who you are. And Bishop Curry has done a fantastic job in his leadership of the Episcopal church. Um, you know, the way of love, the beloved community, he prays in the name of the loving, liberating and life-giving God. That is how, uh, that's the culture set within the Episcopal church. And so uh, regardless of your parish, that's what it is. And, uh, and to have people at the diocese level in other dioceses in, t- you know, s- students at every level, just being so affirming of my, uh, of the call to ministry of saying, we're going to get you through, seminary or we're going to put you through the lay order of catechists or we're going to whatever we got to do we want you to preach um yeah yeah it's really beautiful so i know that um a lot of people like you said whether it's from 2016 on or Mm. or have walked through various seasons like you have of sort of like leaving and looking and landing different places, whatever that sort of like evolution of their faith or their journey through different traditions and finding what makes sense now. What would Mm. you say to those people who are sort of in that like flux moment of their faith or their church journey? I'm going to read a passage of scripture. Is that okay? I'm going to unpack it. It's your podcast. So yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. I was asking you. Kate, you hold all the cards here. Can I read this text? Um, this is something that occurred to me when I was reading it one day, and actually, actually through spiritual direction, it came up. Um, hold on. Okay, yes, that's the translation. It's in Genesis 13. So the context is Abram and Sarai and Lot have all started to travel from where they were to where to Canaan, where God is leading them. And then all of a sudden they're in this sort of space where it's like, this town's not big enough for the both of us. Mm-hmm. So Abram and Lot, Lot goes towards Sodom and Gomorrah and Abram is just there left with all this land. 
No, it's not Genesis 13. It's Genesis. Wait, it might be. Hold on. Hold on. Stand by. Yeah, it is 13. Starting in verse 14. After Lot left, the Lord said to Abram, look all around you to the north and south and east and west. All this land that you see, I will give to you and your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as many as the dust of the earth. If anyone could count the dust, he could count your people. Get up, walk through all this land because I am now giving it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at the city of Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. It just feels like the Lord is like, like you're just not, you're not tied down to one place. Like the Lord is saying, get up, look around at this enormous space I have for you. My love, this is where you live. You live within my love. And so if you need to check under every rock, if you need to sleep under every tree, if you need to, um, you know, grow something in every bit of soil all over this land, move your tent around. It's okay. Yeah. Because like I've given all of this to you, all of this is your inheritance. Um, and that to me feels like God saying, like, I'm not going anywhere. You're safe here. You're safe. Like uh, uh, one of the, words the words of the lord i received during a spiritual direction session was um like exploration is not the same thing as aimless wandering mm, that's good you yeah. can explore and it doesn't mean you're falling off the deep end or you're sliding down a slippery slope or that you have lost your purpose explore go look to the north the south the east and the west move your tent around if you need to and there build an altar to the lord we're gonna move again probably but we'll do this here and now and so like that word for me is is like god encouraging deconstruction and reconstruction that's how i see that text it has nothing to do with that but it feels like just so we're clear that i know how to interpret scripture <laughs> <laughs> But, but that, that like generosity of spirit in mm -hmm. God, that expansiveness, that, um, in that like settled inheritance of it all. Uh, that's what I would, I would say is your belovedness is settled. Your, your safety in God is settled. So go and explore. It's okay. Um, I feel like God, God encourages exploration. And so that's what I would say. Yeah, I love that. That's a great note to end on. I think Thanks so. Thanks for being so open and sharing. <laughs> Thanks for making me cry for the first time on my podcast. You're welcome. That's my <laughs> job. <laughs> Okay, so that was that. I hope um, that story was um, encouraging to those of you who find yourself on the same road as I was um, in maybe different places as me or have maybe come to different conclusions than I did, which is, you know, totally fine. But um, I just am um, 
I'm thankful to the listeners who gave me the idea to share the story all in one place, and I um, and I hope it serves you well. If this podcast has meant anything to you, not just this episode, but the, the podcast as a whole, would you please make sure you are following or subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at Let It Matter Podcast, especially this week. After this um, bonus episode drops, I'm going to be sharing some different books and leaders and voices I was listening to over time um, while I was sort of um, sorting through some of my beliefs about complementarianism versus egalitarianism, LGBTQ affirming theology, um, the Episcopal Church, sacramental theology, etc. And so keep an eye on that account this week, and I'll make a highlight so that if you're listening to this at a later date, you can find that on our Instagram profile. Join me next week as we seek to make space for, honor, and name what matters. And now, according to our tradition on this podcast, I am going to share with you the blessing that I wrote uh, for the study guide that I wrote for Kate's book, An Untidy Faith, that I mentioned um, in the intro. I have shared the benediction with you guys that I wrote for it, but I haven't shared the blessing yet. The blessing is based on the story in Genesis where um, Jacob wrestles with God and God leaves him with a limp, changes his name, um, and all of that. And so that's where this is coming from in case you're like, what? Um, But I want to share this with you now. So let's just take a second, take a deep breath, and let's pray. May you wrestle with these ideas like Jacob wrestled God for as long as it takes and not letting go until they yield a blessing. Even if there's pain, even if you experience a fundamental change in who you've been and how you identify, even if your walk looks different than it did before. May the blessing of God's transforming love and faithful presence be enough. Amen.